And so on this Palm Sunday, we move with Jesus in the reading of his gospel from that triumphant entry to his rejection and his suffering. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he's claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, Here is your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he handed him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This is the gospel of our Lord. Amen. We began this season of Lent on Ash Wednesday with a cross, the sign of the cross made on your foreheads, reminding you that you are to dust and to dust you shall return. And during the season of Lent, we have been intentionally focusing on that very same cross of Christ, the way in which the cross informs what we think, say, and do as God's people. We've looked at that cross in relationship to our condition, our sin. We've reflected on the way in which the cross shapes our future, our hope, and how in the present moment, and I preached on this last week, how our discipleship is shaped and guided by the same cross, the cross of Christ, who says, if you would be my disciples, then pick up your cross and follow me. Today we consider the cross again, and on the cross we see our King. 
He was welcomed. You heard it as Tom read the processional gospel. He was welcomed by crowds that were so delighted, praising and adoring him, only to be executed a few days later. And on that cross, we see this king wearing a crown, not a crown fashioned out of metal and precious jewels placed um, lovingly and adoringly on his head during some coronation ceremony, but an ugly a crown of thorns meant to harm, meant to humiliate, shoved onto his head by mocking soldiers. This is our king. And what kind of king is he? This king that we see in Christ is God himself in real human bleeding, suffering flesh. This king is the same one the angels and the heavenly hosts praised when he was born saying glory to God in the highest heaven. He's the very same king that the wise men came to worship as they followed the star to Bethlehem from the east. You remember those wise men at Christmas time? They knelt. They brought gifts to worship this newborn king in the manger. How different it is now as we enter Holy Week. Jesus is in Jerusalem again. And there he would be despised, rejected, tortured, and condemned to die. How many of you, through the years, have seen the letters I-N-R-I in various Christian art? Have you seen that before? As a boy... I would often see those letters woven into the stoles worn by the army chaplains that led worship in the Protestant services my family attended. Back then, I had no idea what those letters meant. I thought it was just another military acronym. As an army kid, I knew that DOD was Department of Defense, IG was Inspector General, AWOL was absent without leave, uh, you didn't want to get in trouble with the MPs, the military police. I knew what the PYOC stood for, the Protestant Youth of the Chapel. So I just figured that, uh, and I, I looked at it and said, ENRI stood for something like the um, Institute for Religious Information. It wasn't until years later I came to understand what those chaplains were wearing on their stoles. It's an acronym. And it stands for Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, as it would appear in Latin. The language of Pontius Pilate, under whom Jesus was crucified. It was the language of the empire. The sign above our Lord's head that Pontius Pilate ordered to be placed there looks something like this. And he wanted everyone to understand and so we had it written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And it was meant to mock Jesus, wasn't it? It was meant to humiliate and add insult to the injury 
of the cross. But even though Pilate had that sign put up to mock our Lord, isn't it ironic? His sign told the truth. Jesus is king. He's king of kings. He's the one whose power and authority are greater than Pontius Pilate, Caesar Augustus, and any other regime, leader, government official who has, is, or ever will live. This king of ours is the one willing to leave the beauty, the splendor, the sublime perfection of heaven in order to come down to enter into as a real human being the ugliness, the brokenness, and even the hatred of this fallen world. Some of you may have heard the story of another man who was condemned to death long ago. This criminal obtained a reprieve by making a deal with the king that in one year's time he would teach his majesty's horse how to fly on the condition that if he didn't teach that stallion how to take wing he would be put to death in a most horrific manner slowly tortured and bled out the king agreed and he was asked as he was taken back to his cell why would you agree to such an arrangement why not just be put to death quickly right now and the man explained, well, within a year, <laughs> the king may die, or I may die, or the horse may die. Furthermore, in a year, who knows, I might teach that stallion to fly. <laughs> hmm. That's one way to deal with a death sentence, isn't it? But you and I don't have to deal with death that way. We don't have to teach a horse to fly. And you and I don't have to wait and see if the king will die. He has. He did die. He took our place on the cross. With that sign over his head, Jesus took the death sentence meant for us. Dying so we could live and live forever. We need to remember, because of the times in which we live and the way we go about life in the public square, how we do business. We should remember that our king, Jesus, was not selected by a committee. He wasn't appointed by majority vote. He certainly didn't win a popularity contest. We are so accustomed in recent years to hearing all about uh, the importance and significance of approval ratings when it comes to our elected leaders, especially our presidents. All the political commentators make so much hay out of the latest approval ratings. Do you remember President Bush who had the highest approval rating at any point of any commander-in-chief? He had an approval rating of 90% at one time. That was in the aftermath of 9-11. But that same President Bush had one of the lowest ratings of all time at 20%. President Obama had an average approval rating of 47.9% during his eight years in office. Last week, President Trump got the news, your approval rating's 43%. But all those numbers, even the lowest, are stellar compared to the fall from public approval that Jesus experienced that week in Jerusalem. 
the overwhelming majority cried out for his public execution. He was rejected by both religious and political powers. He was killed. That's what this world did with God's grace. That's what this world that God so loves did with the Son that came to bring love and life. That's what happened to Jesus. He was an outcast. He became a nobody. Just one more criminal to be put to death. He did all that for your sake. And I want you to think about this during Holy Week. Our king looked like anything but royalty as he hung, straining for every breath on that cross with Pilate's sign over his head. And Pilate had it right. This is Jesus, the king. Though even Pilate didn't know it in his mockery. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Friends, his is a kingdom. It's never been a democracy or a republic. We don't get to vote on what parts of the kingdom we like or dislike, what aspects of his rule we will choose to accept or reject. We don't get together and amend it. His word is truth. His word abides, not by popular appeal, but by the authority of heaven. I've never asked any of you from this pulpit or in informal conversations to, to, to do anything that I wouldn't myself attempt to do. And so when I've challenged you now for nearly two decades to lead people to Christ by inviting people you know already who don't have a church home to worship with you, I do the same thing. Just recently I reminded a young man that Holy Week is coming and invited him to worship with us on Thursday, Friday, and Easter. And he's a nice young guy. He's not mean-spirited. But he said, uh, I know Jesus is a really good teacher. And some of you know what's coming next. Because I've probably shared this quote from C.S. Lewis with you at least a dozen times. And his comment brought it right back to the front of my brain. And if you're thinking about Easter gifts for the grown-ups in your family, how about buying C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity? It's better than chocolate. And here's the quote that that young man made me think of yet again. C.S. Lewis wrote, I'm trying to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people so often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing, the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or even something worse. Oh, you can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him. You can kill him. Or you can fall at his feet 
and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with this patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Jesus has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. If you've never participated in a Good Friday service here at Faith, brothers and sisters, I urge you, I implore you, if you need admonishment, I admonish you to come and be here this week. We will gather in this same sanctuary Friday at 7 o'clock to remember Jesus, our King, to honor his death, to learn from his courage and obedience. Easter morning means nothing. It means nothing without the empty tomb. And the tomb was the result of the cross. The cross we will remember this Friday. The cross upon which your king, your great king, died for you so that you might live with him forever. So I want this sermon to now move into a prayer. And it's a prayer that we use in song. Why don't you turn to hymn 104, remain seated as we sing together in the cross of Christ I glory.